0: Here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Good morning, church. Good to see everyone. Welcome to those online. Uh, we want to welcome you to church. If you are visiting, we want to say welcome home. Our mission here is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. And we like to say this is a place where you can belong, believe, and become. So, question, how many of you remember your first date? For those of you who have had that first date, some of you are teenagers, maybe still looking forward to it. Raise your hand. I remember it. All right, so we're going to do a little competition. You guys didn't know this, but um, if you have been married longer than fifty years, stand up. Fifty years or more. I know my parents got that. anybody else, fifty years or above? All right, we got two. Hi, right, Julie. How many years? Uh, 53. Fifty-three. All right. How many over here? Fifty-seven. anybody longer than fifty-seven? All right, Glenda, how many years? 59 in September. 59 in September. All right, well, Glenda, my parents, I want y'all to come up here for a second. You guys didn't know. All right. We got, uh, I had this idea on the way to church today, so I stopped by Publix and I'm like, today's topic is returning to your first love. So, uh, Glenda, I want you to have this balloon. You don't have to come all the way up here, but uh, let's give Miss Glenda a hand as we remember Bob. Thank you. And uh, we have a box of chocolates. And uh, let's see what we got here. Let's open this. Hmm, it's not one to open here. All right. Let's uh, see here. I'm going to open it here. Dad, I want you to give Mama a chocolate here. Let her pick which one she wants. All right. Can I have one while it's up here? (laughs) All right. Let's give them a hand. Blessings to you guys. 57, right? And I'm the youngest of six. So because um, they're my parents, I was able to get free candy. So go ahead and turn. I want you this to that was your commercial break to Revelation chapter two. I got a caramel, so it's a little chewy. You never know what to expect at this church. What's going to happen? Revelation two, and we're going to be reading about the church of Ephesus. And a little background, they have so much going for them. They have the right theology. Their doctrine is sound. They've got ministries, you can imagine. Everything has gone great, except they're missing one thing. So we're going to talk about what that one thing is. And a little overview of the seven churches. There's kind of a similar pattern where Christ is going to encourage most of the churches. There are two that uh, don't have a lot going for them. But five of the seven, there's, you know, encouragement. And then there's going to be critique. There's two that really don't have much of a critique. We're going to talk about them. And then he's going to give them the chance for those that there is something to get right. He's going to give them a chance to repent. And if they repent, there is a reward. So that's kind of the the formula we're going to see through these seven churches. And as I said, two of them really have a lot going on. That's great. And then five of them have some things they need to change. So let's look in at chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. This is Jesus talking. I know your works, your labor, your patience. That you cannot bear those who are evil. That you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not. And have found them liars. And you have persevered and you have patience. You've labored for my namesake and have not become weary nevertheless. So I want you to pause on the nevertheless. Imagine if Jesus came to this church and was like, man, you guys got solid Sunday school classes, biblical teaching. Outreach is phenomenal. People are getting saved. But, and it's like, ooh. I can imagine the pastor Ephesus getting this letter and thing and oh, all this is good, but what's the one thing? Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Notice it didn't say you lost your first love. We, I kind of teased you with the title, Love Lost and Found, but you don't actually, it wasn't lost. You actually left your first love. And then he says in verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, pause there. Isn't it interesting that Jesus uses the sandwich method? Our social psychologists think they've come up with a sandwich method. You know what that is? It's a compliment, critique, compliment. It's, it's right there in the Bible. Jesus gives this compliment. You've done all this. Nevertheless, and then he ends with a compliment. So there you go, sandwich method. We learn it from the Bible. Verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's pray over God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father... This message is going to be quite challenging for many of us. Some of us are right where we need to be. We're passionately following and in love with Jesus. And others of us, we've got the right doctrine. We've got the right practices. We're involved in ministry. But yet, we've left our first love. So, Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us to really evaluate whether we need to return to our first love. And for those of us who need to come back, Help us to take the steps to come back to return to her first love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today I want to give you five steps on how to return to your first love. And if you're not sure whether you've left your first love or not, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, by the end of the message you should have a, a good idea. So the first step is remember that God is holding you, not the other way around. Look at verse 1. To the angel... Of the church of Ephesus, write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So notice he writes to the angel. For those of you who weren't here last week, we said the Greek word for angel means messenger. So it doesn't describe whether it's a heavenly messenger, an angel, or an earthly one. But because he's writing to the leaders of these local churches, who will be accountable, we've determined the best interpretation is not a heavenly angel, a heavenly messenger, but it's the lead pastor, it's the local pastor, because they're the ones that are accountable to the Lord Jesus about these churches. So he's saying, to him who holds the seven stars. Last week we said the seven stars represent the seven pastors of the seven churches. So something that's an encouragement as a pastor is when it says that Jesus holds me in his right hand it means that he's holding me up. I'm not holding him up. It's saying to me that he gives me leadership and guidance so that I can turn guide the church. It's telling me that when I get out of line, I'm in his hands. So he can easily correct me. And that's good because did you guys know that pastors aren't perfect? Anybody know that? Pastors make mistakes. You want an example? Confession? So this happened i don 't remember any other time in twenty five years this happening, but i 've always had nightmares about even when I worked in you know like the regular like marketplace, you ever have that dream that you forgot to go to work one day or you were late or you showed up in your p j s and you had that nightmare? How many of you have had that nightmare that actually happened to me yesterday. so Saturday is normally my one day off, and uh, I get a phone call at eight ten in the morning from Bob Taylor, which normally i don't get a call that early and i'm like well, this must be an emergency so i pick it up and say hey bob and he said are you coming and i'm like it's saturday i'm getting ready to go to the gym and you know get out of the house like, coming where bob it's the men's breakfast and you're the scheduled speaker it's 8:10 i live 30 minutes away from the church i was like bob i will be right there so on the way i grab my son lincoln he doesn't even have shoes on we're supposed to have a date he and i throw him in the car he just, i was like you buckle yourself you put on your shoes we're going." I break every speed limit law to get here. I had to repent of that after the fact. And I get, as I'm driving, I'm, I'm not supposed to text and drive, so I do the voice text. Hey, Siri, text Lee Beeson. Lee, stall. Lead a prayer. Hey, Siri, text. And I, I Siri's, I don't know if the text messages went through correctly or not. Thank God for Mark. I get, I get here 44 minutes late. Mark is standing up given a fight, crown financial talk. And he just like, step, I'm like, Mark, I didn't even think of Mark doing it, but he stepped in and did it. So let's give Mark a hand. So, so I had, whenever you mess up, you fess up. So I had to say, guys, I am so sorry. This has never happened in 25 years, but now it makes you feel better. If I forget something, then now you can say, oh, my pastor almost forgot to show up to preach. But so anyways, I was able to get the final 10-15 minutes out, and it turned out okay. But, you know, so we're in his hands. And did you know as believers that you're also in the hands of Jesus? And you're like, well, where's that? Uh, We got a passage, if you look on your listening guide, I believe it's in the book of John. And this is really encouraging. He says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they will follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish no one will snatch them out of my what? So isn't it good to know that not only are pastors in the hand of God, but believers are. And uh, I want to encourage you guys that because Jesus has you in his hand, he's going to protect you. He's going to provide for you. He's going to watch over you. But notice he says the son of man in his passage, he's talking about the, the one who walks through the candlesticks. And I want you to go back. He holds the seven stars who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So uh, let's throw this picture of Ephesus up. So he's writing to this church in Ephesus, and something you need to know about Ephesus, it was the most important city in Asia Minor, and that's modern-day Turkey, just to give you a reference point. Um, it was This city was known for its cultic worship of Artemis, also known as Diana, which is basically like a sex cult. So this... This temple of Artemis was known as one of the seven wonders of the world. So Paul ministered in Ephesus for th- almost up to three years. So as you go home this w- today and this week, I want you to read the book of Ephesians, which is written to this church. Uh, what's fascinating is not only did Paul start this church, or he was one of the, the pioneers of this church, but Timothy, Tychicus, and John the Apostle all served in Ephesus. So think about having the... The dream team pastors, who's up to speak today? Oh, Paul's going to preach. All right, who's up to preach next week? Timothy's going to speak. All right, John the Apostle's going to speak. Imagine if you were at a church where you had like Paul and you had John and you had Timothy all preaching. So they had a really good foundation. So this church was established on solid foundation. And then we see Jesus, he said, I'm walking through the midst of, ...of the seven golden lampstands. And what what does that mean? That's saying that no matter what you're going through right now... ...here's an encouragement. Jesus is walking through the churches. Now, if you're a church that's backslidden... ...that's a wake-up call. I better repent because Jesus is walking through. But if you're walking with him... ...it's an encouragement because he's with you. Even in your hardest times... ...Christ is with you... ...because he walks through the midst of his believers. It's like the old hymn... ...he walks with me... And he talks with me. So think about it. He's walking through the churches. And even today, some almost 2,000 years later, he's walking with us. So no matter what you're going through, realize that Jesus is going through it with you. He is walking through the midst of the churches. Second step to returning to your first love. Never forget that God doesn't forget all that you've done for him. Look at verse 2. Jesus says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. So here's the thing. How many, how many people have taught Sunday school in the room today? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you have taught youth, students, all right, women's ministry, men's ministry, greeter, usher, parking lot attendant? I mean, the list goes on and on. Jesus talks to the church of Ephesus and says, I know your works. And it's like you have labored and endured and you've not given up. So if you've served in the armed forces, I want you to stand up for just a moment. We want to give you a hand. All the armed forces, let's give them a hand. Thank you. So you guys can be seated. The reason why I have them stand up, it's like this church of Ephesus were like spiritual marines. They were going into combat. They were going into Ephesus where there's so much false worship. This city where they worship Diana, Artemis, these, and all these other false gods. And he's, listen, I know you've labored. I know you've done the works. You haven't grown weary. You're like a spiritual marine. You're going to just keep going until the job's finished, right? And that's what people in the armed forces teach us, that you don't stop until you win the victory. So I want you to look at the description he gives. And we're just going to kind of break these down if you follow along your listening guide. Look at the church of Ephesus. They were active in the ministry. He said, "As I know your works. We also see that there were hard workers. In verse 2, he uses the word labor. The Greek word for labor is the idea that you work so hard, you pass out at nighttime. You ever work that hard? Some of you are such hard workers in here. You run businesses and families. And when you get to bed at night, you just pass out. The idea is they were so laborious for the ministry, they were willing to keep going they didn't give up easily. Notice the verse two, it says you have patience. Verse three, you persevered. You've not become weary. So something we can learn from the church of Ephesus, and this is throughout the Bible is yes, Jesus yoke is easy. His burden is light. But have you noticed falling along the pathway to God the road is narrow and it's often hard. I have found in my life, yes, his his yoke is easy. His burden is light. And at the same time, following the will of God is often hard. In my life, I found God has almost never asked me to do anything easy. Anything that was in His will was always hard. How many of you can testify? God, I'd love for you to send me like to Honolulu to do ministry, right? I'd love for you to. And it's it's, in 25 years, I can't think of a single assignment that was easy. And the church in Ephesus can testify; they were working hard. They didn't give up. They, They had the patience. We also see they were sound morally and theologically. It says, you cannot bear those who are evil. So we see the Apostle Paul, the year is somewhere around AD 52, 53. He was there for about three years. So this is about 40 years later. We don't know exact date of Revelation. We're assuming around AD 95. So that's about 40 years after Paul helped establish this church. So they had strong theology. And what we see is that God was going to reward them. And something you may want to write in your notes, that Judgment Day for the Christian Whenever the Bible calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb when we're in heaven and we're having this, this time of he's judging our works is not the basis of whether you go to heaven or hell. That's solved when you accepted Christ. Judgment for the Christian whenever we stand before God is a matter of rewards or loss of rewards. So let that give you like a, a breath of fresh air that when you accepted Christ, your, your sin has been paid for past, present, and future. So what do we stand before God? What did you do for him? So I kind of like it, and how many of you remember a high school graduation ceremony? Some of you in the middle there, 20-somethings, not far removed. In a lot of schools, they'll have, like, most likely to succeed, best dress, best personality, and the list goes on and on. And everyone that walks the stage graduates, right? But for those who stand above the crowd in certain aspects, they get rewards, for those of you who graduated college, they have all these weird words. I can't even pronounce cum laude, summa cum laude, magna cum laude. And I'm like, what is magna? I mean, come on, let's, let's not use Latin words. I, you're speaking way above my pay grade. So here's the idea. When you accept Christ, you're saved not by works, but by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. You're saved by faith alone. But when you do the works, he rewards you according to your works. And the New Testament mentions at least five crowns that you can receive. You can Google that later, the crowns in the New Testament. But it's something fascinating. He knows what you've done. The third step to returning to your first love is come back to your first love. In verse 4, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So notice it's not that you lost it. A lot of times when it comes to a relationship with God... Christians will make excuses like, well, I've just gotten lazy. Well, I've just got my priorities out of order. Well, I've just got hurt. Well, I've got out. And the idea with this, you have left your first love. It's it's a conscience decision of the will. In other words, I can use excuses like I got lazy or out of the habit or whatever, but if you're not as close to God now as you used to be, you didn't lose your first love. You left your first love. The idea of leaving is a decision of the will. So that's kind of like, ouch. So as much as Christians get good at excuses, well, I just fell out of the habit. Well, I just, I really like bedside Baptist or Pentecostal pillow, you know, me and Jesus and my PJs. And I mean, we, we come up with catchy sayings, you know, but the thing is, Jesus is looking at us and chapter one We see Jesus is the one who walks with feet of this, this feet of authority. And we see that his eyes are blazing fire. And it means that passion and love are coming out of his eyes. And when we, when we see him face to face, there's not going to be a lot of excuses that, well, I just got out of the habit, Jesus. And you look into those eyes of passion and you're reminded in that moment that he's the one who died for you. He's the one that gave everything for you. So the excuses that we will have when we stand before him, and like I said, it's not a matter of heaven and hell, it's a matter of reward. The excuses won't even matter at that point. I have this against you that you've left your first love. So how many of you have made New Year's resolutions this year? Raise your hand. How many of you have already already broken them already? All right, it's just beginning of January. Okay, so I, I try to make resolutions. I don't always keep them. I try my best, but one, I'm striving to keep is that I've been married for 13 years, five kids later, and my goal with my wife is to take her out at least twice a month on a date. Okay, you guys can hold me accountable. I'm going to try. It's not in, the, in, in stone, but I'm going to try. So this past Saturday night, we've had, we had to hire multiple people to help. We had someone to watch the puppies. For those of you who don't know, we raise puppies. So the dog sitter. And then we got our babysitter. And, and so we, we had to get multiple people involved. So I took Lori out. And we decided to do something new. We went to a French restaurant. Is it Bouchon? Is that what it's called? I can't even pronounce Bouchon at some French fancy restaurant. And uh, my wife tries to culture me because I'm a meat and potatoes guy. And sure enough, I ordered meat at a French restaurant. She ordered like portobello mushroom. And what what is the snails? Escargot. Is that what it's called? And of course, you had to get a bottle of San Pellegrino sparkling water as they have in, in Italy. Right. Is it Italy? Is that makes it? Or is it Fred? I don't know. It's some fancy, fancy water. But I'm sitting there and uh, this whole thing about downtown Asheville, I hate parking there. How many of you hate parking downtown Asheville? Can't find parking. And it costs like so much per hour and it's just like, you know. But here's here's what studies reveal. Are you ready? Whenever you're married, so for those of you who are single, keep this in mind, they say the fillings of love. Now, love is a choice. But I'm talking about the feelings of chemistry and passion and the idea that you just goo goo eyes and guys are talking on the phone all hours of the night and girls. I mean, you get all dolled up and you just uh, crave that that passion. It can only last up to 18 months. So, Glenda, all of those of who have been married for a long time, it presents a conundrum. If these feelings of chemistry and romance can only last up to 18 months, what are we going to do that's been married longer than a year and a half? The answer is you have to fall in love over and over and over again. Well, how do we do that? According to this particular study, they said you've got to try new things together. So if you go to the same restaurant, that's cool. You know what to order. The number two, hold the pickle. you got it down pat. But if you want to increase the novelty, you've got to try new things like... Bouchon and downtown, whatever the place is, downtown Ash. Try new restaurants, go new places. Don't just do the same thing the same way and expect different results. That's called insanity. So Jesus says, you've left your first love. I want to break down that phrase for just a moment. Notice you leave God. He doesn't leave you. It says you have left. God never leaves you. And the author of Hebrews says it like this. God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you you fall in love with lesser loves. Notice you've left your first love. The idea that Jesus was the centerpiece of your life, your whole existence revolved around him. But now all of a sudden it's my sport or my hobby that that takes up all my energy and excitement and emotion. I used to get pumped about Jesus. Now I get pumped about other things. And it's not that you don't have capacity for love, but you exchange your capacity for love for lesser loves, things that are of temporal importance. And Jesus, the one who looks with eyes of fire, eyes of passion, eyes of purpose, looks at us and says, listen, those lesser loves, did they die for you? Those lesser loves, did they give everything for you? I gave the whole world for you. I gave my life for you. What did they do? What did this sports team do for you? What did this travel league do for you? Those are fine. They have their place. But don't replace the greater love with lesser loves. Don't let your universe revolve around things that have not me at the center of it. And then you intentionally leave God as the centerpiece of your life. You remember back to dating relationships when you first fall in love. Ladies, all of your life revolves around that guy. I mean, you have the I still remember. I didn't get Lori's permission. But when we first started dating, she had those goo-goo eyes and, you know, acted a little, you know and I did too. I'm embarrassing here, but I'm serious. Is that not true? Most, most of us can say that's true. And then you get to know each other and familiarity can breed boredom and sometimes even content, not, not in our case. You know, we're still passionate, but here's the thing. What about you and Jesus? Do you remember when you first got saved, how passionate people had to calm you down? You were charging hell with a water pistol. I mean, you were going after it, but now sometimes we see you, sometimes we don't. Now we have to like, Hey, where are you at? It's 810 and you're not here, pastor, right? Sometimes we just, we got to go back. We got to go back. So Jesus said it like this in Matthew 22. He says, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So in other words, love God with all your existence. And those other things like sports and traveling, they're in orbit outside of God in the center. But as soon as you replace God at the center with other stuff, it will never satisfy you. It will never make you joyful, it will never make you complete. You'll have to constantly stay busy because it's just you're trying to fill a Christ shaped void that only He can fill. So how do I know if I've lost my first love? Well, a few questions just to ask you. Did you used to spend more time with God and his people than you do now? If so, why did that change? What's what's the reason? If you had to choose between being faithful to God and serving him or pursuing a hobby or interest, would you have a difficult time deciding? Would it be like a choice or would it be a no-brainer? Where does your discretionary time and money automatically go? So here's the thing. It's hard. This is convicting because... This church of Ephesus, they had the right theology. I mean, their theology was straight up, solid, conservative, orthodox. They had the right ministries. They were doing the work and the labor and the perseverance. They were pushing away heretics. But now we see the church of Ephesus. We're going to find out what happened to them in a little bit. So here's the thing. Back to your relationship with your significant other. My friend and mentor, Steve Scoggins at First Baptist Hendersonville, says it like this. He says, men are the most romantic they'll ever be during the dating phase. After that, it gets worse. Now, that doesn't have to be true. Generally, it's true, right? Some of the wives are like, oh, yeah. So I think the idea is that you've got to remember what it was like with you and Jesus. Never forget that. Never forget what it was like when you just accepted Christ. So I want to bring us to the next point. Number four. Remember the three R's. Practice the three R's. What are the three R's? It's remember, repent, and return. So Jesus gives us a roadmap, roadmap back to our first love. Verse 5, remember therefore from where you have fallen. So in other words, if I used to be closer to God and my love gave birth to red hot passion, I've got to remember that. i got to remember what that was like. Remember the choices that I made. Remember the feelings that I had for God. And then he says, repent. The idea of repentance is a change of mind with a change of lifestyle. You know, in the church world, there's a big debate about eternal security. Once saved, always saved. What's the deal with that? And I add, add a caveat to that is that, you know, it's we can debate once saved, always saved. But we've got to talk about was the person truly saved? Did they really turn to God in the first place? Because if someone says, well, I'm saved, but I'm living like I want to, and there's no repentance. There's no, I have to say, was that person ever really saved? The author that wrote this book, John in first John says that whoever lives in a lifestyle of sin, that's impossible because the seed of God is in him. You cannot perpetually, it's in the Greek, continue to live in sin and claim to be saved. John says if a person does that, they're a liar. I didn't say it. John said it. So the idea is not so much debating once saved, always saved, but was the person really, truly, genuinely saved? Did it produce a lifestyle? So he says repent. That means to go back, to turn around. And then he says do the first works. So that's the return part. What did you do in the very beginning? So a little advice for married couples. If you're not as close to your spouse as you once were at one time, go back to the beginning. You remember how much time you talked on the phone late in the night? What if you started doing that again? You're like, I got jobs. I know. But just put the effort in. Guys, I, I stepped on your toes, but girls, you remember how you used to like get all fixed up and dolled up and now you're like, it's just him, whatever. See, it's both sides. We've got to give our best for each other because we've got to go back to our first love, back to our first love. So consider what you have to lose. Notice that Jesus says, if you don't do this, even though you have the right doctrine, you're preaching sound and solid, your ministries are amazing. If you don't go back to your first love, look, at, look what he says. I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So the question is, what happened to this church? And I'm talking about the building, not that they're still Christians or not. What happened? This church no longer exists in Ephesus. Think about the sad thing. The one that Paul spent through almost three years and uh, Timothy, Tychicus, Apostle John, they poured their lives into it, but yet the church did not fully return. So what what is this church like today? What is this area like today? The church doesn't exist. There are Christians there, but we're talking about modern-day Turkey. You can Google this. Modern-day Turkey has 99.8% Muslim. So this place, Ephesus, that was one of the premier churches now today has 0.02% Christian, 99.8% Muslim, 0.02%. And you're like, why? It's not because they had wrong doctrine. They had great doctrine. It's not because they didn't have good ministry. It's because they left the first love. And when you look at it today, here's how slippery the slope can be. It's so easy without realizing it that you exchange devotion for duty before it was out of devotion. Now you're in duty. It's so easy to exchange the love you had for God now for labor. Yeah, you're working for God, but it's not out of love. It's so easy to exchange worship for work. So I want you to think about it. The what has to flow out of the why. A lot of times we have the right what, but we don't have the right. Why? What is the why? Why? It's out of love for God and love for others that motivates everything you do. If the why is not love, everything's out of place. Think about your relationship for those of you who are married. If I told my wife, hey, I'm taking you out to Bouchon because I have to. I'm trying to get you off my back. How, How would that go across? Not very well, right? But if I say I'm taking you out tonight because I love you, and even though we've been married 13 years, I want it to be like the, our first date. How would that go across? Right? So here's the thing. For, for gentlemen, you and your wife, it's going to look different. You know, everyone has a different thing. So don't think you have to you know, do a certain thing. But pursue that person in your life. Pursue them like it's your first date. Kiss them like it's your first kiss. And when it comes to God, remember what you felt. The love of God that forgave all your sin. Go back. So if you're not as close as you once were, here's the invitation from Jesus. Come back to your first love. You didn't lose your love. You left your first love, the original lover, God himself. But then he ends on a positive note. Now you can take a deep breath. Wow, he was stepping on my toes and I was. Keep your eyes on Jesus and look forward to your future rewards. So in in verse 7, he who has the ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we're like, well, how does God speak today? Well, let's throw it on the screen, six ways that God speaks to us. And a lot of times when you're making a decision, you're seeking God's will. Number one, the Bible is the primary way God speaks. And all these other ways we're going to talk about, you have to test it by scripture. The second primary way is through prayer, inner promptings of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. They will follow me. So the idea is the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. But it will never contradict the Bible. If what you're feeling internally contradicts the scripture, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's your spirit. It's you ate pizza the night before or you're in a bad mood. So don't blame it on God. Like God told me, nope, that contradicts his word. He did not tell you. Secondary meaning, this is not primary, but this is a, you know, a supplement is other believers. Because the reason why it's secondary, imagine if other believers knew more about God's will for your life than you did. That'd be kind of weird, Right. God's going to speak to you and other believers will affirm it. Other believers will give you correction. And then God speaks through circumstances. That's important. Are the circumstances showing you that maybe God is redirecting you? Did you know that sometimes rejection turns into redirection? Some of you who are single need to write that down. Rejection is actually redirection. Um, And finally, this is occasionally, and some of you have this happen, dreams God speaks to you in the night. You have prophetic dreams. That's biblical. Read the book of Acts. And open and closed doors. And I have to say that the caveat: not every open door is of God. Oh, this door open? It must be God. Well, it may not be. So think about it. You gotta you gotta really pray through. Those are ways we interpret the scripture and understand what God's saying. So it brings us to, who is the overcomer? It says, whoever overcomes. Well, who wrote the book of Revelation? Someone tell me. John did. Did you know that John in another one of his books answers this question? Because it says, he who overcomes, is that, is that the spiritual elite? Who is that? Well, so at 1 John 5 on here, he answers it in another one of his books. That's why scripture interprets scripture. It says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So in other words, anyone that's truly saved is the overcomer. It's not like some spiritually elite Christian. If you are saved, you're going to overcome the world. And what's the gift Listen to this gift. You're going to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of paradise of God. What is that? That's saying that when you return back to your first love, it's like Eden again. It's like paradise again. It's like, it's like you remember what happened in the garden? And this is a future fulfillment too, by the way, when we actually eat of the tree, when we're with God. But in the meantime, what did Adam and Eve do with, with, with God in the garden? They walked with him. So if you go back to your first love, one of the instant byproducts is your relationship with God, the fellowship, the community, the, the talking. It's back, and that's exciting. So for some of you who haven't heard from God in a long time, maybe it's time to return back to that fellowship. So let's, let's, review, let's review four basic, five basic points. Remember that God is the one holding you, not the other way around. A lot of times we're saying, I'm just holding on to Jesus. That's a good thought, but he's actually holding on to you, Right? Uh, never forget that god doesn't forget all that you've done for him he doesn't forget it and you will be rewarded so continue to persevere come back to your first love remember god didn't leave you you left him if you're not close to him as you once were practice the 3 r's remember repent and return and finally keep your eyes on jesus as you look forward to future rewards so let's summarize this in one big idea for those of you who have revelation overload right now in your brain, you're like, all right, we've got to stop now. Here's the one big idea. Come back to your first love and let everything you do flow out of that passion and purpose. You may want to write below that the why is central. The what flows out of the why. What's the why? It's because I love God. Everything I do is motivated I love for God. If the why is not central, then the what will be sometimes messed up. All right, three action steps. We've already alluded to this. Number one, come back. How do I come back? Start what you did at the beginning. If you're not as close to Jesus as you once were, go back and did what you did at the beginning. Think about the time you spent with him in quiet times. Think about we couldn't keep you out of church. Now some of you, we have to search for you. To, where have where you been in a month? I haven't seen you. Well, bedside bad, come back. No, number two, let everything you do flow out of that passionate love. What's scary from this passage is you can be right in the head and wrong in the heart. You're like, what does that mean? You can have the right doctrine, but if you don't have the right love, and what's sad is denominations separate. You have some denominations are all about love. They're right, somewhat right in the heart, so to speak, but wrong in the head. And you've got some solid doctrinal churches. but Where's the love at? You've got to have both be right in the head and right in the heart. And finally, look forward to your future rewards Don't get distracted by lesser loves of this world. They're just temporary fulfillment. They're not lasting fulfillment. Stop chasing after happiness when Jesus can give you joy. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I know this message stepped on many toes, mine including. And first of all, I want to pray for believers. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But you know if you're not as close to God as you once were. And we found out that you didn't, it wasn't something you lost, it's someone you left. So if that that passion has waned, if that love is not central, I just wanted you to tell him, he already knows. He's looking at you with fiery eyes of passion to say, Jesus, I repent. I'm sorry. I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to come back to my first love. Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me for exchanging the centrality of Jesus with other things. I repent. As you continue to pray and do business, there may be one here today that God is calling you to himself for the first time. That when we talked about salvation, you don't know whether you've really been saved or not. You don't know whether you really had a life change, whether God really moved on the inside. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. But true faith turns your life around. True faith involves repentance. If you've never experienced that, I want you to say this prayer right where you're at. Say, dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge my need for you. And right now, I give you my life. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross and you rose again. And I want to place my faith solely in you and I want to follow you for the rest of my life. With no one looking around, did anyone pray that prayer? I want you to raise your hand. Anyone except Christ today? Anyone at all? Thank you, Father, for hearing your prayers. God, we are returning back to our first love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.